Last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. It sounds like Data is going to engage in some sort of limb for hostage exchange. <laughs> this is probably in my top ten. Whoa! I like this episode a lot. There's a cool alien threat, and uh, I think I think the episode is interesting in a lot of ways. Oh no, man, it sounds pretty talky. Yeah, really, kind of a shameful description. Sad. <laughs> yeah, fuck this episode. I'm gonna veto it. Fuck you, buddy. Are you serious? Are you seriously vetoing? Yeah, I kind of want to see what's going to happen here. I can't allow you to veto this episode <laughs> because I will have to burn my veto. And then we have an entire season in front of us that, no, I what? counter, I, I, I counteract your veto. <laughs> but what you, do you think about that? You fucked us again, Adam. <laughs> God damn it. And now the conclusion. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to be recording a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. You know, Ben, that is the highest rated Star Trek podcast out there. Yeah, the number one Star Trek podcast on the internet. According to reviews. It's true. Yeah. That's us. Can't, you can't argue with reviews heavily cajoled out of their audience by <laughs> the podcasters. Um, like, like some kind of hostage situation. Yeah. Somebody was threatening us on, uh, on Twitter that if we ever veto an episode, they will one-star us on iTunes. And uh, I just uh, I, I tweeted back at this person, and I will repeat that here. We, <laughs> we do not negotiate with star terrorists. It's true. Um, and the subject of vetoes is, uh, is fresh in my mind because we don't have any for the rest of this entire season. And it's we are true. only on episode two. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was my doing. Yeah. That's me. That was a a real like the Joker kind of moment. Some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? That was that was some sick shit. <laughs> it felt great. <laughs> Try to top that next season. I doubt you could. I don't know. Yeah, like. <laughs> I don't even know, man. Like You know I what's just, great is next season is so far away, like this will just be a very distant memory. But Yeah. Then. But it's also like it was so fucked up that I don't like don't even know what to think about the world anymore. <laughs> Some men just wanna watch the world burn. I think that this is also an episode that people have been waiting for because uh, we are going to reveal the winners of our contest. That's right. We uh, read 109 reviews, Ben. It's pretty awesome. Was it 109? I thought it was more than that. Could have been more. There's I counted lot. 109. I think there. You may you may be a little bit low, but uh, okay. Uh, we we read a lot. We we pared it down to five faves in the funniness department. So I think. Well, how should we do this? I think we should do our funniest podcast review first. And for those just tuning in, we've been running a contest uh, to get us up over the threshold on iTunes 
whereby the t-shirt supplier for our podcast network, Maximum Fun, will print t-shirts for us. Uh, and we, are, we blew past it in a big way, and we just want to say thank you to everybody that helped out on that. Really awesome. We narrowed it down to like our five funniest, and we'll reveal the one that we thought was the funniest at the end. Sounds good to me. Let's do it. So I think we should probably make clear that this was a pretty difficult contest to judge. We yeah, had this, a lot of great entries. I think any one of these five especially could have counted as our favorite one easily. Absolutely. This is rarefied air. Do you want to kick it off? Ben? Yeah. So, so the uh, fifth in, uh, in our funniest is from Jake L. Titled Harrison and Pranica at Shimoda. Ito, when the knuck rocked. Quinn and Picard, his dog bigged. Data and Yar, fully functional. <laughs> uh, and, I like uh, his dog bigged. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a Darmok and Jalad style construction, but with, uh, with all in-jokes from our show, which uh, probably not going to make somebody who's on the fence click subscribe, but uh, <laughs> definitely tickled my funny bone. Or someone who hasn't watched that episode. Right. Of TNG before? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think we've ever let uh, narrow comedy stop us from dropping a two percenter <laughs> like that. So No. Good job, Jake. On brand. <laughs> Our next iTunes review comes from Jessica T. Headline Great Show. I listen to the show while making dinner. I get excited when it downloads and clap giddily before playing it. <laughs> My husband rolls his eyes and asks what the hell are you listening to? And then I hear him stifle laughter as he pretends he's not listening. <laughs> this, uh, I, <laughs> it sounds just, like we gave some poor woman the clap. <laughs> I, I just also felt like a lot of kinship with this one because I kind of feel like it, it jibes with our wife's relationship with the show. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of spouses that are being are being pulled into this situation against their wills. And uh, I love the picture that Jessica paints here. Yeah, it's sort of a hostility that gives way to, like, grudging acceptance. Yeah. yeah. That's our show. <laughs> <laughs> really beautiful. Uh, Thanks, Jessica. <laughs> number three, Anthony S. left a review entitled, Ears are for listening. We look for things. Adam and Ben are smart. We look for things to make us go, ha, we are listening. Ears are for listening. Make us go, ha. <laughs> well done. I just, it, it really ends on a down note. I, I just, I'm picturing a guy, like, I don't know why, but in like an empty loft, like a, like a, an abandoned loft building, just standing alone in this room saying, make us go, ha. <laughs> Real moody. <laughs> Except for the critical mistake of calling them listeners instead of viewers. I, oh yeah, I thought this review was fantastic. Man, it, that's that might have that might have been the 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 little thing that gave it the edge, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Still a great review. Solid, solid as Sears. Thanks, Anthony. Number two was submitted by Nathan R. Headline changed my life for the better. Since listening to Greatest Gen, my wife and son are staying with the in-laws, and my friends <laughs> won't return my calls. But now I rock Righteous Moose Nuck. Five stars. 
so we've gotten this guy to hike his pants up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's not all bad for him. It's not all bad for Nathan. Yeah. Oh, real funny. Did his family leave him because of the knuck? Like, I'm, it's sort of an order of operations issue that's, that I'm yeah. thinking about right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I guess we'll never know. But uh, that that is a really funny... That's a really funny review and made me laugh a lot. Yeah, yeah, good job. All right, drum roll, please. Our number one funniest review sent in by John S. And it is entitled, Best Biff Yeager-Centric World War II Cast. <laughs> this has slowly become my favorite Biff Yeager podcast, beating out Biff Cast, Yeager Lore, and even the sadly canceled Wearing Argyle. The fact is... None of those shows really talked about Biff Yeager as much as they should have. <laughs> and I'll admit, I don't quite get the World War II tie-in, but I trust Adam and Ben, who are professional documentarians. Adam almost made a documentary about the long winters. Five stars, it's great. <laughs> that knife twist at the end is solid. Ed, thanks, John. Uh, I just, I, like... The amount of nonsense that he managed to fall in. Yeah, that's really well done. <laughs> Big fan, John. Nice work. Well, Adam, uh, we talked about this a little bit before we started rolling. Nathan R. is getting the the honorable mention. John is getting the gold star. I think uh, both of them deserve a t-shirt. I think so, too. Let's do yeah. it. We're going to send Nathan a triple XL size shirt that he can then like tie at the bottom, like in between <laughs> his legs to achieve maximum nook. Yeah. Um, and just to set some expectations, we are like literally doing this t-shirt thing for the first time. We have no idea how long it's going to take to get set up. It might be like weeks. It might be a month or two. So like this is happening. It's just, we can't make any promises about how fast. Yeah. We're really motivated to get it done quickly. That's for sure. It's for just sure. uh, not, it's not only up to us is sort of the issue. Yeah. Uh, we're working on graphics though. So we're getting closer on choosing those and I think it's going to turn out great. Yeah. Do you want to move on Adam to the random chance winner? Sounds good. So we have 114 entries. What I'm going to do is use a random number generator to choose a number uh, between those two numbers and including mm -hmm. those two numbers. Right. Okay? Are you ready? Yeah, I feel like we should have like some suspenseful music here. Maybe well, I'll just, I'll, uh, we've got all, the, uh, all those cues from who wants to be a millionaire that I downloaded, so. Great. I am about to hit the button. The button has been hit. The number is 45. Our 45th review in this contest comes from Joshua R., who writes, Headline, Sexy Mormons. <laughs> it was when Adam referred to the Edo as looking like filthy porn stars, but they're really like sexy Mormons, that I knew I was hooked. These guys have amazing chemistry, a great sense of humor, and say the most ridiculous, intelligent things that leave me in stitches. This is not your mom's Star Trek podcast. It's way better than anyone could have hoped. Not a Star Trek fan. Who cares? Listen to these guys for smart, hilarious banter. Hey, that's a great like, review. 
This guy might be listening to a different show. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. A little too nice there. Incredibly flattering. Josh. Uh, wow, thanks, Josh. Sorry about uh, lumping your name in with people who vape. <laughs> <laughs> Josh gets a shirt. Yeah. Good job, Josh. Cool. So uh, we will send emails out to those lucky folks and uh, lucky and talented folks. And uh, to everybody else, thank you so much for entering. And uh, we will announce it as soon as they are available when the Max Fun Store has West Hot American Summer shirts for purchase. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It is a guiding principle with Darth Vader's face. Have you got Let's turn our attention to Season 3, Episode 2, Ensigns of Command. Ben, you said this episode was in your top 10 ever. Yeah, uh, I stand by that. Huh. (laughs) You disagree? Yeah, I kind of do. Well, let's start talking about it. Okay. This is an episode that opens on a classical music concert that's going to pop off in ten, 10 forward data comes in with his violin and notices that picard and dr crusher are on a little bit of a date and uh yeah it sure looks like it huh comes over and asks them to fuck off because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't think he's very good at violin and so they oh <laughs> go in very, go very on distract- i'm listening now, just uh, just so everybody knows, we started in the AM your time <laughs> recording this this show. So the clock just struck noon my time. Okay, so that's what this this podcast has driven you to. That this episode has driven me to. And the captain, as is his wont, turns Data's admonishment into a little a little teachable moment uh, on leadership, and um, and the the upshot. Uh, that data that data gets is that excessive honesty when he says that he's not a great violinist is uh often not the best thing, especially yeah. if you're trying to be a leader yeah data does that like that level setting of like look you guys you're you're gonna hate this because while I'm a great technical violin player uh I'm someone who also can't feel any emotions. So if you're here for emotional violin playing, uh, you should probably go somewhere else. You should probably pay pay attention to Chief O'Brien, who is playing the cello, right? Right. That's kind of fun. Yeah. That's like a character trait of Chief O'Brien's that I feel like never comes back. I could, <laughs> I could be wrong about that, but I don't feel like he's the cello type in uh, in deep space nine uh yeah I, I don't know if they ever return to that but i like that they're sort of trying to shoehorn him into episodes like <laughs> yeah like we need this... uh we need a, another string player who can we use yeah we, we write two lines for him every every other episode <laughs> let's let's flesh his character out a bit no wonder he's so sad so picard does that thing where he takes a call in a movie theater like yeah. the, like the 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 quartet starts playing. Picard takes a call, and then he just walks the fuck out of ten forward. And and f- for a man who has zero emotion, Data just looks so fucking destroyed by this. He stops like, playing. He is crestfallen. He can do a billion computations a second, but 
Picard walking out on him during a recital like just destroys him. Mm-hmm. It was kind of sad. I think that there's a lot of overstatement of how little emotion data it has in this yeah. show. I think that th- there's like at this point a long track record of data having feelings. Not like it's not like his emotions don't rule his existence the way they do the human characters, but he ha- he fucking has them. You can have feelings about things without having emotions attached to those feelings, right? Or, like, would you say that feelings and emotions are mutually exclusive Adam, or, or come, can be? We did not come in here to split hairs like that. We came uh, here to make dick and fart jokes, okay? <laughs> sure thing, boss. Uh, Let's talk about all the, these all fucking the, hefty bag aliens. All of which, that is to say, Data looks like Sad enough to stick his dick into a dimensional portal. Yeah. Yeah. If we thought his death wish was bad before. (laughs) All he needs is a solo mission on a planet where he can be by himself, which is the thing to come. What's happening here is the Sheliac are hollering at the Enterprise to say that they've got this planet scheduled for Sheliac colonization. The Federation ceded this planet to the Sheliac in a treaty. There are some terms in the treaty that force the Sheliac to notify the Federation that there are human colonists on this planet. If this treaty wasn't in place, the Sheliac wouldn't think twice about exterminating the colonists without telling anybody. But they're following the rules, and the the Sheliac are kind of a, one of these inscrutable, powerful, and xenophobic races that we encounter where they don't think that human life is worth anything but somehow have been convinced to play by the rules with humans when it comes to this treaty so the enterprise is on a mission to go see if they can scare up what hum- what what humans these sheliac are talking about so that they don't get they don't get melted their impression is that it won't be a big deal to scoop up these colonists and take them somewhere else. Like, like, fine, we can observe the uh, the details of the treaty. These right. bag these bag people uh, have every right to have this planet. We'll just swing by, pick these people up, and move them somewhere else. Yeah, and and like, there's no record of there being humans there, so they they picture it being you know a small renegade type of operation. But when they show up. They find that the, I guess it's the atmosphere of the of the planet is full of hyperonic radiation, which is like not something that humans are supposed to be able to survive. But somehow there's evidence of a colony below. Yeah, and the radiation is the reason that they've got to send data down in one of his bunk bed shuttles. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like no human being could survive, could tolerate the the radiation, except for the settlers who have managed to survive it. Right. And and unclear like what they what their workaround was, but it's not available to the Enterprise on short notice. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Mm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Data flies down there, lands, and a couple of local goofuses happen upon his uh his uh 
his bed. <laughs> they kind of remind me of the two guys uh, on The Simpsons who drink at Moe's with Lenny Homer. and Carl. Yeah, they're totally Lenny and Carl. <laughs> hey, what's this guy doing here? I don't know. <laughs> his shuttle looks like a bunk bed. <laughs> they're like, hey, like you must be from the Federation. This is really cool. Uh, why don't we take you, take you to our leader? And <laughs> so they take him back to the colony and there he meets a man named Goshevin who is the elected leader of this colony and is like basically like reflexively tells Data to fuck off with his with his uh, evacuation mission yeah the most sensible course of action is to prepare a contingency plan for the evacuation of your people we're not evacuating. Doesn't take it seriously at all. He's like, we're not going anywhere. Go fuck yourself, android man. And his reason seems like, uh, he's like, I brought water here. I think we're going to be sticking around. Like, like he's obsessed with this, this whole water situation. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's basically created Las Vegas in the desert, right? Right. He's like, he, he turns to Data and he says, I've brought... Amazing water down here. Some of the best water on the planet. It's very little hyperonic radiation. People love my water. Let me tell you, when you taste my water, you're going to be sick of other water. <laughs> yeah. The thing about Goshevin is he establishes his assholery right away. Yeah, early and often. There's just no doubting it. Was there something that you noticed about him that was a little weird to you? Uh, are you talking about his voice, Adam? I am. I am. Yeah. This is this is the one truly black mark on this episode, in my opinion, is the man that is acting on screen is not the man whose voice you are hearing in this episode. Like, I guess the actor didn't, didn't love his performance, and also his voice sounded weird. It's unclear who didn't like what. Right. But what is... What is clear is that his voice was not appropriate for the role, and so they looped someone else's over mm-hmm. the top of it. Maybe he sounded... Uh... From what I read is that he sounded too much like John Wayne. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wouldn't you like to hear that version? I would love to hear that. It'd be great if you could like hit the SAP button on your remote <laughs> and suddenly get the John Wayne version of Goshevin. Yeah, that'd be cool. Another thing about the guy who plays Goshevin is that he's married to Michelle Phillips, the blonde lady who is married to the time scientist and will always have Paris. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's a real, like, incestuous actor thing happening on this show. Yeah, wow. Kind of great. I like that. Data discovers that this is a colony of 15,000 people. It was like a colony ship called the Artemis that landed there, like, almost 100 years ago. He radios up and... Picard's like, okay, well, if it's 15,000 people and we can't use the transporters, how long is it going to take us to get everybody onto the Enterprise? And Worf does some calculations. It's like months. And it's, but they like totally leave aside the fact that they're talking about 16 tupling the number of people (laughs) on the Enterprise. Yeah. How do they think they're actually going to do this logistically if they were to do it over those, over those months? It really makes me wonder how big the Enterprise is supposed to be. Are they expecting people to sleep in bunk beds and in hallways? I mean, I think that's the expectation. 
Have you ever been on a cruise ship, Adam? No. No, I haven't. I, Is it like that? I have been on a cruise ship that had, I think, well, I've, I've been on two cruises. I think they were basically the same size of boat each time, and they had 2,500 people on them. And it is, it's a lot like a floating hotel, but like you get the sense of the space fairly quickly and it's not a huge space. Like I feel like less than half that number of people, like is the kind of number of people where you know everybody's face. It's not like a city in space. It's like a small town in space. How long does it take you to walk completely around a cruise ship, like if you're on one of the upper decks and you just wanted to walk around it. Not more than like 20 or 30 minutes. Huh. Like. And is that, is that like through the walls of shit that are like raining down on everyone? Or is that like avoiding those walls of shit? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm factoring in the number of times you have to stop and barf over the edge. (laughs) Uh, These these are the Kid Rock cruises that you attend, right? Yes. But, you know, it just makes me wonder, like, is the Enterprise have a thousand people on it and it can accommodate 15,000 more? Or is I, it or are they talking about stacking and racking these people? I don't understand how it's a choice of sticking around for months and doing this versus, I mean, are other ships months and months away from the Enterprise at this point? Yeah, we never know that the answer to that kind of question. Yeah, it's weird. Anyways. Anyways, this is a real problem because the Sheliac are on their way and they want to colonize this planet with the quickness. And I guess... They've given a four-day warning. When you're a hefty bag alien, your idea of colonization, I guess, is like laying down a bunch of that weed tarping that you put (laughs) on a lawn before you you plant over it. Yeah. Is that what that looks like when you're (laughs) a hefty bag? Yeah. I think so. They are going to kill whatever is left at the planet. Yeah, they've made that pretty clear. Right. So the other person Data meets is a lovely young woman with really fetching bangs named... Ardrian? Ardrian. (laughs) Ardrian! God, Ardrian is super foxy, except uh, I think she's an HD casualty. She's got sort of a... A Raul Julia mustache going on. <laughs> did you read any of that on your TV? Because uh, I definitely got. I did. I thought it was kind of cute. Oh, okay, it's nice. Um, so she's like obsessed with data from jump. She expresses early and often that she has a major robo crush on him because uh, she's a robot person. Like yeah. she she builds them and and like. When he goes to her apartment, it's like full of MST3K (laughs) (laughs) representations of robots. Like, yeah, that is not a joke. Like, I think Tom Servo is in that apartment. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And unclear if that's a sculpture or if that's like a work in progress of some kind of sex bot that she's making for herself. But, Where did uh, she get a bowling pin? <laughs> he just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. So here's the tension is Goshevin is not down with a rescue of any kind and is leaning heavily on the people of 
this colony to disregard the warnings that Data is giving him. All that being said, the Enterprise couldn't even beam everybody up if they wanted to. They don't have enough time. And so there's a hilarious sea storyline where Chief O'Brien and Geordi are tasked with coming up a way, with a way to make uh, transporter beams work despite the hyperonic radiation that uh, this planet suffers from. And so they kept, they just Do you keep think like, that was a punishment for O'Brien's poor cello playing? <laughs> Picard's what? like, this guy fucking sucks. We need did, to give him a job so that he never plays again. Why did Jordy get the backsplash? Just to <laughs> provide legitimacy for it? I guess. Well, he's the chief engineer. He has to be involved. I guess so. So there's there's just a bunch of scenes where they're like they've got like test cylinders that they're beaming back and forth from the planet and they, they come back all all meltified. They're beaming them down and then beaming them back and they're bloody for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And Picard will come in and be like Now, are we progressing, Miss LaForge? About like you'd expect, sir. Splendid. Splendid. Carry on. <laughs> just bounces. Yeah, you can't really be sure that he's not fucking with them. Yeah. It seems like the engineering equivalent of Riker and Guinan teaching <laughs> teaching smooth talking to Wesley. <laughs> yeah. And Data I mean this this is now the second time that Data sort of loses his confidence in this episode. He uh he tries to convince Goshevin and the townspeople that they gotta leave. Goshevin's not having it. And so he radios up to Riker and he's like, Look, man, uh they're not really hearing what I'm saying. And Riker's like, do a better job. Yeah. Like, he doesn't really have practical advice other than do more. Seriously. And and so Data is in this crazy situation where he has to sort of be a a diplomat and a politician, like more a politician really than anything. Yeah. He has to convince these people that the the guy that they elected to lead them is wrong and is not just wrong, is putting their lives in danger. Yeah, so. and, like, the thing with Goshevin that makes him a fucking idiot is that, like, he's got his own set of facts that don't they don't match up with reality at all. Like, his assumptions are just wrong. Data is saying that an, a ship is coming that's going to kill them all, and Goshevin's like, yeah, we can fight him off. Look at all yeah. these people in robes. Like, we can do that. Like, he just doesn't, he's not listening to reason at all. And uh, the other people not listening to reason are the Sheliak. They are... You know, Picard is like, we need more time. Just give us like a couple of months. We'll get these guys out of here. You'll have a clean, human-free planet. And the Sheliak are quite insistent that they are going to start colonizing in four days, whether the Enterprise likes it or not. And so, and and they keep like hanging up on Picard. You know, they keep, Picard keeps getting on the FaceTime with the Sheliak and begging them for some leniency with regard to the treaty. And they just, they just hang the phone up on him. It's mad disrespectful. Yeah, it really like underscores how little the Sheliak feel about human beings at all. Like they just really can't be bothered with yeah. that. Ironic that the trash bag people tr- treat humans like trash. It's like comeuppance. <laughs> There's a great scene with Troy and Picard talking about how they can talk to the Sheliak in a way that is going to be persuasive. And they have this really interesting speculative fiction conversation about language where she holds up a cup of coffee and she says 
some nonsense word <laughs> and he has to guess what she means by it and he says glass are you sure i may have meant liquid clear brown hot we conceive of the universe relatively similarly the Sheliak are a totally different thing we cannot project ourselves into their minds we can't we have no theory of mind for these guys and i think it's like this is a great moment that crystallizes something about what's so good about season three and beyond that sucked about seasons one and two it's like this is what the Haradin episode should have been yeah. you know like instead Picard goes and goofs around as Dixon Hill for the entire episode but there was like an actual interesting idea to explore there yeah and yeah that was way more interesting than Picard putting on a fucking hat Totally. And this also, I feel like, really presages the Darmok episode. Like, it's, I think, a, a really, like, important and cool scene. It seems like instead of Ubering a bunch of people around, the show should be about this more than anything. Talking to weird people that you right. don't understand and trying to come to some sort of agreement on a, on a conflict. Yeah. Like, this, this is the show. Totally. But it rarely is. Yeah, they get there they get there from time to time. Yeah. And this is like a brief moment in this show, you know. But I think it's it it feels really special to me. And I think it was special to me when I was a kid watching it. Like it's something I've always remembered about Star Trek. My, my love is a The clock is running down, and Data, like, goes to this big meeting that they're having with the colonists and, you know, attempts to basically scare everybody into agreeing with him, and it doesn't work. So he winds up, like, essentially forming a resistance cell with, uh, with Ardrian and her pals, and they're, like, having their first meeting about, about like, how to convince more people about Data's point when when Goshevin shows up and like tasers him. Well let me tell you something. Data gets like knocked out on the floor. Yeah and I don't know if Goshevin thinks he's murdered him or not. Yeah it's pretty it's like. Kinda it's kind of cold blooded. It's a pretty ruthless move and it's brutal but you know I guess you can you can see where he thinks that Data is a threat to his colony because Data is creating unrest and instability and discord among the colonists. Like, to Goshevin, the threat of the Sheliak is totally untrue and unreal. I don't know. Like, I guess he, he, he really only can deal with the problems that he has directly in front of him, if that means anything. I think this really plants the seed of rage in Data. Totally. Like, Data gets KO'd, and then I think the gloves come off as far as what he's going to do to convince these people. And yeah. I think part of it is like, you know, everyone's going to die if they stay. So there are really no limits to what Data can do to convince them to leave. Because, right. like, the sum of the game is everyone dying. Right. So <laughs> Data wakes up. He does some some rave hand jive <laughs> to, to test that he's in working order. Were you ever friends with... With people who enjoyed uh, electronic dance music, Ben? Yeah, that's why I called it Rave Hand Jive. Oh, man. I had a roommate in college who was into the Rave Hand Jive. 
and would just randomly drop that. Like he'd be having a conversation with you and he'd make like, he'd make the invisible ball. Yeah. I was riding a subway in New York once with a friend of mine who's a big Burning Man guy. And there was a kid on the subway that was doing that kind of stuff uh, to impress a, like he was like a high school kid and he was trying to impress a girl with all his crazy hand jive. And my friend leaned over and he's like, this kid is fucking sick. Oh, no. <laughs> he was impressed by that? Yeah, because he's like a big Burning Man guy, and that's an important part of their culture. When you don't have a vape pen to impress people, <laughs> it's important to like conjure invisible balls to play with. Yeah, but I think this is the first time we see the new phaser. This is the, the post-Dustbuster 1.0 phaser that Data goes and gets. Jeez, and I I didn't get that. You it gotta, just looked like a dustbuster to me. You you got to go back and look, man. It's a distinctly new format. Yeah. I mean, it's still a dustbuster oh. format, but it's like it's a it's a sleek modern dustbuster for the housewife on the go. So and it's like what the Previa is to the bunk bed, the new dustbuster is to the old dustbuster. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more tactical and a little bit meaner looking. It's rounder, um, you would say. I think it's actually more squared off. I think the old one is rounder. Okay. So not yeah. as easy to insert then. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit, uh, you need a little bit more lube with the new model. Mm. That's what Goshevin's water is for. <laughs> <laughs> Data takes some like pieces out of, his, out of his body to modify this phaser so that it will work in the hyperonic radiation, which I guess would have normally scattered the phaser beam. And he tells uh, he tells them to warn Goshevin that he's going to go blow up the water supply. Um, and and he shows up in the town square and starts like <laughs> like they've got like a bunch of guys with with like rifles standing guard over the water supply, which is like the central important feature of this. Uh, of this town square. And we should also talk about how this town square is like the prototype for all exterior town sets that yeah. we come come to to see yeah. in the show. Like everything is like a covered walkway and a courtyard. Like there's never any long sight lines of any kind in an exterior set on this show. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Colonial Williamsburg a little yeah. bit. Like yeah. everything's covered so that tourists can still come visit in the rain. Right, but it's a pretty like a fun combat scene where Data guns down a whole bunch of guys on the stun setting, and then he like turns turns the dustbuster up to full suck and blasts the water system, and we cut to like a wide matte painting as this explosion ramifies out through the entire the entire plumbing of the colony. <laughs> Data <laughs> murders their water. Yeah. This might be the most badass scene that Data's ever been in. It's pretty badass. He takes out three guards and then blows up a water supply. And yeah. then he starts talking shit, which is yeah. great. He's like, look, you guys, I'm just, a, I'm just a robot man with one phaser. You think these fucking hefty bags are even going to come down here to kill you? No. They're going to stay no. in orbit and they're going to bombard you with their ship weaponry. And you won't even have a chance to fight back. Game over, man. Yeah. Yeah. Damok, Angela, and Tanagra. 
Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Meanwhile, Picard has found something in the treaty that they can they can use against the Sheliak. So he and Troy 
beam over to the Shelyak ship and they uh it's like it's like the dark and evil version of the fortress of solitude like there's a lot of crystals everywhere but everything's dark yeah and gloomy and there's like an inflated garbage bag squishing around in the in the center of it and the the debate is over a loophole in the treaty which is that he says that there's a dispute and any dispute in the treaty you can call for a third party arbiter and you can pick whichever species you want to arbitrate and he picks a species called the grizellas and i guess they're a, a sentient race that all hibernate at the same time <laughs> they're in hibernation for the next six months so he offers the Shaliac corporate guy a a choice they can wait for the grizellas or they can give them a few more weeks to get a colony ship out to the planet and pick up these colonists i like the idea of like there's the Shaliac and then there's the Shaliac corporate yeah like which are even worse to deal with i imagine mm-hmm <laughs> I've been like so listen, much red tape. Listen, I've been dealing with the Shellyac for years. I make the best deals with the Shellyac. They've been screwing us for a long time. And when I'm captain of the Enterprise, we're making we're making Trump be every character in this episode. I guess, yeah. The, uh, shell, the, the hefty bad guy just sort of snaps his his weird hand and flings them back to the yeah. Enterprise, right? Yeah, he 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 summarily beams them back to the bridge but they eventually get the shelly act to realize that that's like if they're if they're going to be such dickheads about following the rules this is what following the rules is so so they give them the three weeks and it's just in time for data to like actually convince goshevin to back off and agree to the evacuation and goshevin is you know, confronted with the fact that he's been holding on to power on behalf of what is essentially an object. And Data speaks very passionately about the fact that things can be replaced and human lives cannot. Yeah, interesting line of dialogue coming from a thing. Yeah. So, Ben, I got a question for you. Sure. What do you think was the limit on what Data would do to get the people to evacuate the planet. Do you think he would have gone as far as murdering Goshevin? I don't think he would have gone that far, but I think that's more about uh, his other feelings than, you know, the calculus he's made about how to go about this. But it's, I mean, he's, he's definitely if he's, pushed if he's coldly calculating, extreme. like, needs of the many, needs of the few fart noise like <laughs> if he's if he's put that together i think goshevin's got to be on the table as far as people to take out but at the same time who knows like if the colonists would be convinced to go with a man who just came down and assassinated their leader you i don't know, know I mean? if, if he assassinated goshevin in a really fun way i think that could really make some people fall in line <laughs> fair enough <laughs> god we're just staggering to the end of this aren't we the Enterprise successfully arbitrates their dispute with the Shaliac. The last scene on board the planet's surface is Ardrian saying goodbye to Data. Yeah. And at this moment in time, 
Adrian's feeling pretty lusterly towards her departing robot man and lays one on him. And uh, and the response that she gets from Data is not exactly warm. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's perplexed. Let's put it that way. That doesn't do well for her. <laughs> she kind of takes it as an insult before moving along. Yeah, and so when when he's leaving the you know the the shoes on the other foot and he tries to uh to comfort her with a kiss and um it's a uh, it's i feel like another example of data being more having more feeling than than he'll cop to it's in keeping with the motif from the very beginning right he's right. saying one one thing but he's he's feeling another or yeah. at least he's feeling things differently than what he's describing to other people. Yeah, and um, I think that she, being a roboticist, kind of gets it. You know, she doesn't... She, her feelings are not hurt. Like, she's she, kissed a ton of robots in her apartment. Yeah. Like, I think this was probably expected. Yeah, you saw the you saw the remnants of slobber on that one that, <laughs> that, one that she had yeah. hanging, hanging up in the corner, right? Yeah, the one that looked like a Hitachi magic wand. <laughs> so the the last scene is uh data reporting back to picard after his long sojourn on the planet's surface and picard is listening to a, a tape of data's performance that he that he ran out on and uh picard is very complimentary of it and they they have a little a little back and forth about whether data should feel proud of the of the selection of performances to imitate that he made. Yeah, the idea being that, you know, Data might not be playing with any emotion because of his perceived incapability of that. But yeah. the idea that anyone or anything could put together the playing style of several musicians and like mm-hmm. combine them in a way that, that works and Inherently, is, and that's is a pleasant creative... to listen to. Yeah, it's yeah. totally creative and cool. And Picard calls him on that totally i think that uh anybody that listens to this show knows that it's really just us stealing our favorite parts of a few podcasts and putting them together right uh, you combine <laughs> a couple of elements yeah. uh, into one terrible element which is <laughs> you and me yeah it's just a terrible element <laughs> are uh, there any other scenes you wanted to discuss yeah, I just I wanted to call out one little detail that I thought was real fun with the with the HD upgrade. You can actually read what's on screen when they're looking at the treaty, and uh, <laughs> there's a couple of like one of the, the the first couple of sentence are sentences of the section that they're referencing are we can do search and replace. Come to think of it, that's what the Sheliak want to do with the colony on the planet. This section deals with the right of each party to, to confer with the other in the event of something screwy happening with the treaty. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when the art department throws in stuff like that. Like you could never have read that at standard definition, but they and had it's to so have much some text better, in there. It's so much better than lorem ipsum bullshit totally. too. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. I, I uh, If people want to check that out, it's at uh, 38 minutes and 22 seconds into the episode. Fun, fun little, uh, Easter eggs in there. I am acute as a ball. Lock faces on that vessel. I am acute as a ball. There are four lights. As you were watching, 
Did you find yourself a Drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Drunk Shimoda is our award we give to a character who's doing something silly in the episode. And it's named after Assistant Chief Engineer Jim Shimoda from episode two of the series. And my Drunk Shimoda for this episode is Commander Riker. We talked about this a little bit, that uh, he's really pissed at Data when Data doesn't just phone up and report his unqualified success the first time he calls back to back to the ship uh he tells data to use that fancy positronic brain of his to complete his mission i just think that Riker really showed himself to be like pissed off that he didn't have any any like sexy babes to smarm on in this episode like it's a a rare episode where he's stuck on the ship and the the hot babe on the planet's surface is not in his crosshairs. Yeah, real missed opportunity for him, who would love to be on a planet's surface by himself, the way Data is. Yeah. Ardrian basically would have no chance. <laughs> Goshevin probably wouldn't either. I mean, <laughs> Lenny and Carl would be walking screwy for days. If there's one man who enjoys wearing an open robe, it's Will Riker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about yourself? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? Um, I kind of did, and but I went outside the show. Like, Ben, we've seen now 49 episodes mm-hmm. of this fine television series, and I just don't know how this could make anyone's top 10. So my drunk Shimoda is you. Ooh. Because, uh, well, I think it might have been built up. Like, to hear you you proactively put it into the top ten, I think, might have informed an opinion (laughs) that I went into the episode with that maybe I I shouldn't have had and that made me scrutinize it a bit more. But, man, this is definitely not in the top ten for me. This may be number ten of the bottom ten for me. Wow. I just didn't feel it. I apologize if I improperly hyped it for you i didn't say it was my number one it's definitely not my top five but i think that it's it's a it's an episode that i remember very clearly from watching it as a kid and i think it's an episode that uh more fully realizes a lot of the show's potential than uh than has been done in the past and you know we talked about that a little bit like the the level of depth into which they go with thinking about what communicating with an alien is going to be like. And I think Data's journey is actually interesting in this. Um, I think for those reasons, you're totally right. And I think this is going to happen more often to us on this show as like the, the feelings in retrospect are squared up with the feelings we get when we watch it. Yeah. Like I definitely, like I, I can't say, by any means that it's a perfect episode and there's like some very glaring problems with it. But I think that, uh, I have a fondness for it that is based on the merits of it. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happened to me when we watched peak performance, like that I recall as being one of my favorite episodes of the series. And then to watch it again, I was like, uh, that's uh, not great. (laughs) So well, I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to go into plenty of these with top ten feelings, and then come out of it feeling like, yeah, that was pretty good, but I don't know. Well, I stand by it, but I will take my Shimoda. Yeah, I I, uh, I apologize for Shimodaing at you, but 
But there you go. You're you're crawling up the Shimoda rankings <laughs> as one of our great listeners has put together uh, a graph of all the yeah. Shimoda awards throughout the seasons. That's uh, that's fun stuff. What do we have coming up on the next episode? Next episode is episode three of season three, The Survivors. The crew travels to Rana 4, a remote colony where just two of its 11,000 inhabitants have miraculously survived a devastating attack. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I do remember this episode. This is, uh, this is the episode where a couple of olds are the only ones left on a planet that was destroyed. <laughs> Yeah, and they got this weird house, like this Malibu house. Total Malibu house, yeah. And they, uh, and they, and they like dance. <laughs> that, those are the things that I remember. I don't remember why I don't hate this episode. It sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, if I don't have like a knee-jerk bad feeling though. If instead of the preview, like it was just that description, <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a skipper for sure. Yeah, well, neither of us has any vetoes, so you can just shut up about that even being a possibility. Yeah. If you would like to discuss the show with us, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can do that. Uh, you can go to the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. I'm at BenjaminR, A-H-R, and Adam is at Cut for Time. You can also go to Reddit, where we're on r slash Maximum Fun and r slash GreatestGen. That's right. We also have a couple of uh, a couple places on Facebook. If you search Facebook for Greatest Gen, we've got our page, which is sort of the official page of the show. And we've also got a group where a whole bunch of horrible things are happening <laughs> with respect to people posting pictures of themselves wearing uniforms, uh, yeah. telling embarrassing stories, uh Editing together tribute videos to Chief to uh, to Engineer Shimoda, like there's some really great stuff over there. It's pretty solid. Um, yeah, yeah, and so we, the page is like uh, just just kind of the official mouthpiece of Greatest Gen, um, and we'd appreciate a a fave if or a whatever you call it on Facebook if you like the show, a thumb up. Yeah, we'd we'd appreciate a thumb uh, if you like it. <laughs> Yeah, and then if you want to join the group and... Uh, and In any bits. context, I think if you like it, we'd appreciate a thumb. Yeah. Thumb it. Thumb it to us. <laughs> we should thank Dark Materia for our music. And yeah. And, uh, and the best ways to support the show are either reviewing us or going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Yeah, and soon enough we will have uh, swag on the MaxFun store on Tapatico.com. But in the meantime, go get to be a huge fan of all the other shows on MaximumFun.org, which uh, is our beloved network. That's right. I'm sure they're happy to have us. (laughs) Uh, uh, No comment. Um, Well, thanks again for listening. We will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and also whatever this is.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.